0: just like to keep the banter going for a second here oh there's uh okay we're live and i know there are people waiting because somebody put
1: an early comment speak up guys say hello let us know that you're here
0: <laughs> usually uh usually i do this around noon hour eastern and today it's a little bit later obviously because of the time zone difference but um, now people are starting to file in Here we go Okay, let me play the intro and then we'll, then we'll kick things off. Cool. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog, where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. Awesome. And today, of course, we've got uh, Jared Krause from Buying Online Businesses
1: joining us live from Australia. How are you doing today, Jared? I'm great. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before I hit the live button. This is actually your fourth appearance on the show. And I I updated the show notes in YouTube already for anyone who wants to go back and and see Jared's prior appearances. But the first time you came on was 2019. And I think we just talked about online businesses in general. And then in 2021, you came back again, we had another conversation, but in and it was with respect to how uh, the whole pandemic situation had affected the market. And then in October of 21, you came back, where we tackled the question, are online businesses a form of passive income or not? And yeah. you you also came and you were a guest twice in my Business buyer Adventure Group coaching program. So you've had a lot of interaction, you and I. And, and the reason I keep inviting you back is because I think that you're a good guest and you have good information. So in, in, in the interest of being transparent, that, that's <laughs> why I keep having you back. But, um, you've also been on mine.
1: You've also been on mine a couple of times as well, my podcast, and we've done a YouTube. Was it live? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was live. We did a live on my YouTube uh, channel around uh, how to fi- how to finance a business, as well.
0: Yes, that's right. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, for those of you who don't know you, can you, you want to give a quick recap on who Jared is and how you become, uh, you know, such an expert on the world of buying online businesses?
1: sure uh who's jared Uh, i'm just a guy from australia i love surfing and i wanted to get into the online world of making money online Uh, and i tried to start a bunch of businesses and i just sucked at it and uh, realized 90 percent of starts fail so i moved into trying to find and see if i could buy an online business a small one started quite small bought my first one for fifteen thousand dollars and then bought set consecutively after that a fair few of them and then people wanted to know more. I built out a course. I built out a, a company now with with you know a bunch of employees and uh, people where we help people find, buy, and grow businesses. And I think I've just I've just been lucky and very I'm very grateful that I know a lot because I we see so many deals through the business come through uh, where we review people's due diligences and get, point out risks and opportunities and things like that before they even make an offer. So. That's what has helped us learn so much about the space and get really, really good at this. Just looking at so much, so many pieces of data, so many businesses.
0: Yeah. Well, people have been waiting for you to come on today because look, Ken here says he's been looking forward to this episode and Thanks, Kevin. Kevin's joining us from Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kevin, how are you today? And and more questions are starting to pile up here, which we'll get to as we move along. But awesome. one of the things that, that we've talked about quite a bit is that, you know, in the real world, the brick and mortar world, if you had a business that only produced, you know, 10 or $20,000 a year of profit, most people, you know, would not ever consider buying that kind of business, they would describe it as a, as a hobby or a job. But -hmm. in the world of online businesses, there's an active market for these kinds of things. Because of course, people want to buy them because they think they can run them while they keep their employment, for example. And so you want to get a little bit into sort of the the different tiers of the market and how it could be a little bit different than what we see in the world of, of brick and mortar stuff
1: definitely so i my philosophy and what our business is wrapped around is helping people replace their income so they don't have to work in the job that they're continue working in the hopes well not the hopes but for the goal of them having more time to spend doing what they love with the people they love, like their friends and their family. And so typically people will want to buy lower tier businesses, but it usually is a lot more work and a lot more strenuous. And we're we're about less stress, more fun and mm-hmm. setting ourselves up for success. So typically, and it used to be $10,000. Now it's around the $20,000 range, $15,000 range. You can still buy businesses under that price range, but I find if it's under those, under the 15 grand usually, then you're buying a startup. And like I said before, 90% right. of startups fail. And you typically have to put a lot more effort and resources, time and your money into that business to, to get it out of that sort of value range and it be more passive. And when, you're, when you have a job, a full-time job, and a partner and children, that's pretty strenuous. As you start to grow, uh, as you start to build up a bit more capital, buying something 20, 20K or north of 20K, then you have a little bit more play and a little bit more wiggle room with resources the business is, is making. And typically, the larger, and this is very general, the larger the business uh, typically the less risk and the less mm-hmm. they need to do, put into it to maintain it because it's a lot more solid or less work it is, is actually required for it. So a lot of people start between the twenty to the $60,000 price range. That's where a lot of people want to kind of dip their toe in the water. Uh, what I like to see is people buying larger businesses if they can afford to. Obviously, everybody's in a different financial position. I had to start very small way like a long time ago fifteen thousand dollars for my first asset and then start i like to see people start to work towards buying larger assets or growing the ones they have built sell them off and buy a larger asset uh if it's worth selling maybe sometimes it's worth keeping and then you can move into the 100 or 200k range and then the 200 or 500k range typically with the 200 mm-hmm. or 500k range you've got a business that's far more passive And you can hire experts to basically do most of the work uh, for the business and still have passive income, have it, you know, semi-passive to maintain working with those people. But yeah.
0: So so that business that would have a purchase price of $60,000, what kind of cash flow would it be generating? I want to get an idea sort of of the valuation for these things.
1: Yeah, and this is cool that we're talking about this because it, it is changing with the current market, right? Typically, and there's different business models. So you've got, we should talk about those because that'll determine the multiples. Okay. A SaaS and membership business, software as a service or membership business, typically they're going to go for a higher multiple because they've got people already locked in paying an annual fee or a monthly fee to get access to that tool or whatever that service is or that membership. Uh, and those multiples can be around the, and we do multiples in months for online businesses, not years. So those multiples can be around the 45, 50 range up to 60, 70 months. Wow. Yes.
0: Like if you if you convert that into years, you're talking about sort of double the typical valuations of small brick and mortar businesses.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. exactly, uh, they're very valuable businesses to own, especially if the those SaaS businesses are very sticky and businesses are using them, and their whole team knows how to use it. to To, to change the tool would be very costly for the business. So it's got that sticky right. element, right? Uh, and typically those businesses with a long or a large customer lifetime value or a really good churn rate uh, are gonna go for a higher multiple, right? It's like any business, you know, the less risk, the higher it's gonna go for. So mm-hmm. typically th- there's those ones. Then you have e-commerce businesses. E-commerce businesses now are roughly around similar, I would suggest probably to uh, brick and mortar offline businesses where you're going for around the two years Maybe a little bit more, right? Two and a half or three years. I,
0: I've you- I've talked with some people doing and who have recently completed some e-commerce business sales, and they're pretty much matching the data from old mail order catalog business from the 1990s. Like the the, the data from those old mail order catalog businesses is pretty much the same thing, which and it is essentially the same business. You're You're instead of using a catalog, you're going on a website, but you're ordering an object that gets delivered through the post, and and you know it's basically the same business.
1: Yeah, Yeah. smart, smart. And then you have blogs, which are content websites, uh, and they typically were going for around the thirty-five to forty-five, sometimes up to fifty-five-ish range, multiple monthly, multiple, uh, and that's come down a little bit. So to give you an answer of sixty thousand. Yeah. Say it's sixty thousand. So, so hang
0: on, Jared. Those blogs would they typically be earning money through like Amazon affiliate links? Is that typically how they would make money, or yeah,
1: yeah, a combination of both. You can have one that's just hundred percent ad revenue from having ads on the site, or hundred percent affiliate revenue from having affiliate links on the site, or a combination of both. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so yeah. I would I would imagine that market is susceptible to Amazon changing its policies
1: and it has happened it happened about three years ago, where they changed their commission structure from 8% down to three and a half percent for some niches and industries. Uh, so there is single source dependency risk that you need to understand. Uh, I had a client that had that happen to him and we got his revenue back to the same, same uh, income via using multiple affiliates and decreasing risk. So it was a blessing in disguise, but it was work. So uh, And then you also have, most of those sites have single source dependency on one traffic source, which is Google, and a lot of people in this price range sub $60,000 for blogs, the price of the blog, uh, are typically playing a game against Google trying to gain traffic versus those sites that are a lot larger, they understand Google is their business partner. And they're working with Google to do what Google says in terms of SEO, like white hat, good SEO to right. work with Google, help Google win, which also helps their business win with traffic. So there is that single source dependency and, it, and it's, I think Google traffic is the best form of traffic on the, on the internet in itself. And the reason being is because the intent is so high. When people go to Facebook and Instagram, what are they on Facebook and Instagram for? To see videos and photos of friends and family and, and and kill some time right not sort of zone out but people go on google what for to find an answer they're hungry for the answer or youtube they're hungry for the answer and so people actually want to find what you're putting out there and that traffic is so much richer and closer to the purchasing the product in their buyer's journey so that's why I believe it's it. You you
0: know what you've just reminded me of? And we'll get back to that cash flow. I keep distracting you. Sorry. But what you just reminded me is my old sales pitch when I used to work in yellow pages, because I would say to people, you know, when you advertise in the newspaper or on the radio, people are there for a different purpose. But people only grab the yellow pages when they want to read advertisements because they really need to buy something. And and that's what made that medium different than any other. But sorry, I interrupted you. Sixty thousand dollars business. What kind of cash flow you were going to give out? A a range or or yeah,
1: I would say for a for a blog at the moment uh, around a thirty five multiple. So if you go sixty thousand divided by thirty five, I just do it's about seventeen hundred dollars in passive. Well, it'd be semi passive. You'd still want to have a couple of writers that you can hire, or you can hire an agency to do the writing of blogs and SEO for you. So what I choose to do on the larger businesses, you can afford to hire an agency and they're a lot better at their work than hiring somebody and trying to manage them yourself. So pretty decent. For sixty grand, you can make, you know, seventeen hundred bucks a, a month.
0: Okay. And so it it, it almost kind of reminds me of you know, if you were to buy like a rental building, you maybe you got an apartment rent for a similar amount, but it's just that the tangibility or the, the, uh, of what it is that you're buying obviously is highly, highly different. I mean, there's all kinds of other risks in the world of online businesses. And yeah. we, we've talked before in other episodes about these multiples. And so, how, how is it changing right now in 2023?
1: Yeah, such a good question. Well, we all know it's very different in Australia. The economy we we have a pretty solid economy, but over in America, which is like usually the guiding force of how the overall economy of the world is sort of shaped. Um, and that's a very general statement because we have economies within economies, and also those within America, small little economies. But speaking very general terms the economy in America hasn't been great. And we have seen retail slow down hugely, right? Which means ad revenue, ad ad revenues have dropped. They're being hit quite hard, especially in e-commerce businesses. Retail has been hit hard for e-commerce businesses. And that means multiples have dropped. So and across the board on a lot of businesses. Also, with that, then you also have the pressure of people, interest rates rising and people having maybe assets or their assets start to turn, in, become to turn into liabilities like properties or whatever it is, or especially mm-hmm. their cars and stuff like their interest rates are going up and they need to sell off stuff. And that's why multiples of these online businesses I've noticed have slowly started to decrease throughout this year of 2023. For instance, yesterday I had a call with some uh, a buyer looking at a business and it was around the $80,000 range business. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, okay, they, how come this hasn't sold? In my head, I went through all of the data. I didn't know the price and I didn't know the range or the multiple that they were asking for. And I thought, "This is this is definitely a 45 multiple uh because i know last year this time last year that's what that business would have sold for that business was on a dutch au- dutch auction going for a 31.5 multiple and i thought this business is going to sell it should have sold already but it hasn't and it could be a f- multiple factors but i think two things there is are uh, is that because the business is good it's been scaling it's growing the traffic like I would buy the business myself personally if it was a bit larger an asset but for that price range and for how well the business looked it would have like i said it would have sold for more and i was wondering why it hadn't sold and i think it's for due to the seller is willing to accept less money because they have other things going on in their life interest rates are sort of rising and whatnot and they need some cash also the rest of the market
0: Oh, you mean, otherwise they would have pulled it or, or set a reserve? For, yeah, perhaps. yeah,
1: yeah, correct. Or they yeah. just would have kept it on the marketplace and said, we're well, not going to decrease my multiple. Uh, and you got the other, the other picture is the buyers are like slower to hand over their cash because they are worried that, or they want to keep some cash for the in case, or maybe they don't have cash and they're spending a lot more money on their interest repayments. So yeah, people are willing to sell their business for less. And less people are willing to spend cash at the moment uh, and invest. And obviously, we see that the best time to – the best gains are typically made in these periods where, you know, there's blood in the streets, what Warren Buffett says, is right? It's, you know. Um, well,
0: it, well, It's in, it's interesting what you're saying. I, I actually had an email that came out recently. And for anyone watching who's not on the list, go to davidcbarnettlist.com to sign up. But I put out an email where I talked about how the the market for online businesses is uniquely global because really the buyer could be anywhere on earth, right? And so so what you're describing is that because maybe the economy in the United States has kind of had a bit of a downturn, there aren't as and property prices have softened and and you know maybe people who felt wealthier because they had a bunch of crypto assets that have now gone down in price for example. People <laughs> are are not feeling like they you know want to make the investments at these prices and because of the softness you know as you say in, in the states it's kind of affected the market globally for these assets that yeah. and everyone once they see that things are starting to decline then you then everyone's like well if i'm going to buy maybe i should wait and maybe maybe they'll decline even more it almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy kind of thing
1: yeah yeah spot on and the market in the online business space is made up of about, I would say this is very rough figures are about 80% of the market are US based buyers and sellers. Mm. So it is a large portion uh, which does rub off on the rest of the world as well. And yeah, you do have those people who are like, oh, I'm gonna wait until the price is a bit lower. Uh, but that's like trying to time the market in anything. And I'm a big believer is like, if you can afford to buy now, buy now. And I call that early, I call that early in the year this year and also end of last year. I thought, look, it's gonna be a good year to buy assets across the board. If you're to buy, you know, I'm not I'm not big into crypto, uh, but if you're to buy crypto or or you know an ETF property, I've bought I'm buying property this year, uh, physical property, it's just a good time to buy because Interest rates have gone up, less people can afford to buy. And what happens then is the price of the assets decrease a little bit depending on the area. Uh, and that's the same with businesses. Businesses runs very similar, similar and I find parallel to yep. property. And what happens when interest rates, eventually they're going to have to decrease, right? Eventually, when interest rates decrease, then more people can afford to get financing. And when more people can afford to get financing, more assets get bought, either properties or businesses. And that's when the price of those multiples and those properties go up simply because interest rates have gone down and the value has gone up because more people can can afford it. And as more people can afford it, more people are prepared to pay more than somebody else, which drives up the multiples and the price of these assets. So just by buying it in 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 a tough time, is uh and and securing that asset for a cheaper deal is is a good good position to be in
0: so so let me ask you this in 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 the regular sort of pricing of business the bigger the businesses get the higher the multiples go as as the businesses seem to have less and less of a risk profile in the world of of these small online businesses um you I mean you talked about the multiples we gave an, you gave an example of a business that would have a sixty thousand dollar selling price What about a business that produced a cash flow of a hundred thousand a year? Now, you know that would be about eight. You know, let's say it's ten thousand a month, or would that be selling for you know four hundred twenty thousand? Or would the multiple be even bigger for that a business that size?
1: No, look, the multiple for a business stays the stays the same, similar, very general, all the way up to like the millions of acquisition price. But what makes the multiple different is the level of risk that's involved with the business. For example, you could have a blog that makes, a, uh, makes um, so an eighty thousand, sorry, sixty thousand dollar blog that says makes fifteen hundred to seventeen hundred dollars a month. It might go for a thirty five monthly multiple. But if you bought a business that was a hundred grand a year, ten k a month, that could go for a thirty five multiple as well, being about three hundred fifty k. Um, and you know the eighty, the sixty thousand dollar business, they might, it might have less risk in terms of good spread between traffic and revenue streams and things like that. Um, and it might go for like a mo- one or two monthly multiple higher than the three hundred fifty k business. So they stay similar, but it depends on the risk within the asset as well. So they stay similar in that business model class. But it's the, the multiple changes dependent on that specific asset or specific business and its risk.
0: And when you talk about diversity, you're talking about, does the traffic all come from one place or is the traffic yeah. coming from multiple sources, platforms, et cetera, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. And what? Yeah. And what's the what's the uh, value of that traffic, right? Like Pinterest traffic is very different to Google traffic, just like Facebook and Instagram is different that we talked about previously.
0: Yeah. Okay. We've got a couple of great questions here from people in the audience. You want to tackle some of these? I got uh, concise, yeah. concise advice. Wants to know what effect has Chat G uh, GPT and Dall E have on uh, online businesses? This would be artificial intelligence stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, there's this is a can of worms, and we could do a whole whole stream on this. Uh, I think I think AI is great it's really good and it's a really good tool. A lot of people believe it's the answer and believe that nobody's ever gonna have a job anymore. And that may be the case in a long, you know, in way, way down the track. However, a lot of, in online businesses, people are like, well, I'm just gonna get all of my content created by AI and I'm gonna have it non plagiarized. I'm gonna have it detected, like non-detect, not detected by the AI tools, but Google's AI tool is so damn good. Uh, I think it. I think it's irresponsible of us as business owners to lean into AI in a way that it is going to be the answer and let and just leave it to AI and and to be like AI is going to create all my content. And they're going to do all the work. I think we need to take some level of responsibility in our businesses and make sure that we fact check things. Make sure that we are making our product, our services, and our content amazing for our users uh i think it's irresponsible us not to do that and i think a lot of people are trying to go down the route of like we're just gonna just make it cheap and easy quick and fast and that's you know the most people look for the shortcut and they're the people that lose
0: so are you saying that uh, google looks for ai created content and kind of down scores it a little bit in its algorithm
1: well they say they say they're not going to i'm not an seo right search engine optimizationist but i I know a lot of SEOs and I speak to a lot of SEOs and they say they're not going to uh, downgrade AI driven content. But think about it this way. Like I think I think you should use AI. I think you should use AI as ideas, right? As use it for writer's block of like talking points to, to create a piece of content for your audience so you don't have writer's block and then a professional in that space should and you could use it a i could write the content for you as well on those talking points and then i think it should be rewritten and revised and edited heavily by somebody that is an authority in that space for example if you google ranks content based that's best for the user so if you need to put yourself in google shoes you need to put yourself in your own shoes as well. And I think if people understand this thing that I'm going to mention now is that if you have uh, somebody that's going to write the 10 best ways to catch a fish and they've got a blog and they just outsource the whole thing to AI and they get it done by chat, GPT, Dolly and all that. They get the images and stuff like that created. And then it gets put through Quillbot, rephrased and put through AI detectors so the AI detector doesn't know apparently that it's AI driven, and it gets published. And then you got a person who has been a fisher person for 10 years, 15 years, and then they use chat GPT. And they get some talking points, they get it written by chat GPT. They edit it, they rewrite it, revise it themselves. And then they publish it on their website. By somebody that's been in the industry for 10, 15 years or more. Which piece of content would you prefer to write read? the one that's all AI or the one that's by a fisher person that has that unique experience with all the idiosyncrasies that have learned through their career that they've put into their article? Which as a user, which one would you prefer to read?
0: Well, it, it's funny that you're talking about this because back in early March uh, for my email list that I mentioned earlier, I, I created, I, what I did is I queried GDP a couple of times about questions related to buying a business. Mm. And it gave me these very formulaic type you know very plain vanilla sort of passages and then i i put them in my email and i said now here are the things that didn't mention that will kill you and like in a deal <laughs> and i've noticed this in other people's marketing too is a lot of people are making a lot of content out of what chat gtp misses or what mm-hmm. you know important facts that don't get caught and i saw a lawyer doing it the other day too and so i i know what you're saying because it the and here was the big question i had to ask at the end of one of my emails was that mean these artificial intelligence bots are being trained by reading the internet. And so there's a lot of really terrible, low quality composition, clickbait type stuff on the internet. So now that content is now part of artificial intelligence. Yeah. It's a great point.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's it's a, it's a, it's a feedback wheel of, yeah. like how many blog posts are out there on the internet that just absolutely suck and shouldn't be there and google hasn't de-ranked them yet and it's like it starts to become this feedback wheel of the blind leading the blind and eventually mm-hmm. do, are we just going to become dumber and dumber by having everything repurposed and regurgitated to us from content that has been written by somebody that doesn't know about that particular space and we just become worse and worse at our craft like it look if you look at buildings of course it's happened for us already right buildings back centuries and centuries and centuries ago way way stronger way better built than they are today so it's a it's a it's a unfortunate thing for us to happen but you raise a really good point and i'm not saying that i'm against uh ai i think it's helpful and it will get better but at the moment i think a lot of people are just so damn distracted by it and uh consumed hmm. and aren't thinking about the real things that you need to think about in their business is like, what? how do I create the best product? How do I create the best content? Not how can I do it cheap and still you know, look at profit margin? Because profit margin isn't... Profit margin, you, you usually make the best profit margin when you have the best products, not when you try to do it on the cheap.
0: I agree. Uh, question here from Ken says... Jared, what are the new niche areas apart from affiliate in current online markets with not a huge substantial investment? So Ken wants to know where he can invest a little bit of money and make a big return. I, I get this question all the time, but we're going to we're going to pose that one to you this time.
1: Yeah. Uh... In terms of niches, I'm not sure. Obviously, I need a little bit more context on that, Ken, but I'll try my best to answer. But if you you can put a little bit more context and be a bit more specific with your question, your follow-up question while I try and answer, that'd be great. Um, New niche areas. Look, new for me typically is what I would call non-evergreen and probably fad, like a fad things like new, like a fidget spinner or a new mm. you know, onesie business. Uh, I don't think they're the best business niches to go for because it's going to be a fad. And I think if you're going to be in the business in business, you should be in a great long-term evergreen business. And I don't think it needs to be new as well. Like I don't, I'm not a bit believer in like trying to find something new or a new idea or all you need is a million dollar idea and you'll be fine. It's like, that's not really the case. What's the case is that if you find a product that's already really good, but it has a, and if you if your goal is to like start a business or to buy a business, if you find a business or a product that's great, and you see, because you're in the space, you see that there's some things that could be better about it, which would make it a like a knockout product that people couldn't, couldn't buy, like they couldn't not buy, I mean then you could reiterate it and reinvent it and re-improve it and make it far better. And that's without having to think of a new idea or a new niche or a new product. And I think that's the best way to grow a business is to lean into and ask your customers, you know, what problems do you have that we're not yet solving, that we don't know yet, we don't yet know about and how how do we reiterate and re-improve and reinvent our product to make it better for you? That's what I do is I ask people what do they need So I don't think it's best to look for the shiny new thing. I think it's best to just find a business that's great and make it far better by doing that.
0: Yeah. Combing through and and finding out what the unanswered questions are with respect to uh, the content base Mm. of whatever Mm. the online property is. You know, I've I've been making YouTube videos for years, all on the topics of buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses. And when I go into the back end of YouTube, where I can see statistics and everything, it blows me away how many videos from five years ago (laughs) were watched last week. Right. And it's because the video was about a specific question or topic and someone today is still typing that question in to either google or youtube and and that video from five years ago is the best answer and so it Mm. it continues to to come up and so in any kind of content marketing space no matter what it is you're trying to promote or sell on a blog or e-commerce website I, I think the biggest thing is understand the language that your customers are speaking. How do they express their need or their uh, their desire? And, and then figure out how you can take that exact language and use it in some content so that, to your point about Google being your ally, so that when somebody looks for that specific thing that you actually have the best bit of information to, to go up at the top of the list.
1: Yeah, spot on. I got a perfect example of this. I had somebody buy an e-commerce business with me many years ago uh, and I said to anyone to grow the business, I said, what are we going to do to grow the business? What are your ideas? And his ideas were like, oh, we need to find some new products to put on the store because the more products we have, the more money we're going to make. I said, we're not going to do that. What we're actually going to do is we're going to uh, email our list and we're going to ask them specific question around like, what are their biggest problems? Like, because his business, he bought a business and they're selling rugs online, right? Like team rugs. And um, I, we worked out, I said to him, like, what are the problems that people are having once they've bought the rugs? What's the problem they have with that product? Uh, or how can we make that product even better? And after questioning the audience and his list, he found out that sometimes when the dog runs across the rug on the tiles or a human runs across the rug, it slips a little bit. I thought, oh, great. How do we, how do we prevent that from happening? Do we spray some sticky thing underneath the rug so it sticks? Or do we get the rugs uh made with like a rubber, uh like a rubber underneath a grid or something mm-hmm. like that? And what he actually found was uh some non stick pads that go on each corner of the rug. Yep. And uh what we did is every time somebody bought a rug or added that rug to cart, we added those non-stick pads and say they were like, you know, a hundred bucks. We added those nonstick pads and said, would you like these nonstick pads? They're, for, they're 60% off, get them for 40 bucks. So the conversion rate on that was like huge. It's massive. It was like something like between 50 to 80%. Most people bought them. And that's how you make more money in your business without finding a new product, but solving a problem that people didn't believe they had or didn't know they had. And you preempted it for them because you did the data and the research yourself. And the conversion rate on that is huge. And so we didn't need to find a lot of new products and reinvent the wheel. We just help people better. And that's when you help people better, then you make more money. (laughs) It's very simple. Yeah.
0: Uh, Great. I think that's a great answer. Uh, LT Traveler's got a question. What is uh, Jared's opinion of all these Amazon FBA and other types of people promising to set up for you and split the profits? Done for you online business. (laughs)
1: I love it. The key word that I picked up there is promise, (laughs) right? So I don't know anybody that I trust with my life that says to me, I'll promise you this. They don't need to promise me because I already trust them, (laughs) right? So when somebody you don't know is trying trying to prove their trustworthiness in one sentence or one quick way through tricky marketing, then you've got to read between the lines, right? Like how can you, like, I don't tell, I don't ever say to people, I promise you'll, I promise if you buy a business, you'll get X result because who knows, right? Yeah. And these people that set these up anyway, the, my biggest thing with this is that a lot of people are looking for a done for you method for, that for people that can set up businesses and and they know how to do it, Right. The fact is still even the best the best online business starters fail. In fact, a lot of people, I know people that still start many businesses and they start them to sell the businesses and they do it themselves and they still have an 80% failure rate and they've been doing it for years and years, decades, right? Any online business, the startup failure rate is huge. Like I'm talking ninety to eighty percent, even if you've got experience. And a lot of people, what they do is they, they, they might join my program, and then they go, oh, this it's taking too long to find the right business for me, so they leave, and they go and chase the shiny object of like, oh, this person can start a drop shipping store for me, or this person can start an FBA business for me. All you need to do is pay fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars for setup, and then you got it. Great, that's cool. But when you've built the product, you can do that yourself, by the way. You can find a product. You can find a drop shipper, build a website, list it on Amazon. The reality is how you make money in e these days and any business is you need to do marketing. And that's yeah. the hardest part of making any sales is doing the marketing. And that's what these people don't do well or don't know how to do. They just set up a turnkey business. Yeah, it could work. Only if you know how to do the marketing. So a lot of people do this. They leave my program and then they come back yeah. and it's like, Jared, damn, I need to buy a business. Like I just got ripped off for 15, 20 grand or they've done it before they even found me. And it's a shame because a lot of people get taken advantage of by tricky marketing tactics that people promise them they're going to get ROI.
0: <laughs> do you, do you uh, watch the Spencer Cornelia YouTube channel? No. No so in the last couple of weeks he's had a couple of videos come out where uh b- back in 2020 when the, all the issues with the pandemic hit this this amazon automation or online business automation went huge because e-commerce exploded in that time mm. and a bunch of people did as you said they signed up they spent 20 dollars, 50,000 dollars have these online stores set up and the results weren't there and now what's happening is now it's trickling through to the courts because now there's right. lawsuits being filed by people who are upset and want their money back and stuff. And some companies, you know, are, are basically, you know, ended up folding because they, they have. Getting sued. Uh, they're being sued and all this kind of stuff. And so for someone who's interested in this, you know, after we're done, I'll go look a couple of those videos up and I'll put them in the comments down below because uh, there were two in particular that I remember seeing specifically um, about
1: this. My, my thing. Yeah. That's awesome. David. Like, we need to share we need to share this and this is why i got into um, teaching people to buy a business i don't need to make promises that people will make money after they buy a business why because the proof is in the pudding you can look at the business you do the due diligence on it and you already know it's going to make money but there's these yep. people that are like they know that 80 to 90 percent of people are going to fail at this and they still create a product and they sell it to them that is a straight-up charlatan there's no, there's no doubt about it, right? So we need, to, we need people to understand that you don't need, if you want to start a business, I think the only way, only reason you should start any business is if you've got a product or service that doesn't yet exist in the marketplace that you're so damn passionate about that you want to do it for the good of humanity and you're prepared to stay in that business for 10 years plus. If your goal is to make money, don't start a business. Speak to David and buy one because it's already proof that it's working and making money.
0: Well, you know, I liken it to, uh, inventing a whole new kind of business. Like I'll sometimes talk to people who have this incredible new idea for something that's never existed before. And I'll say to them, like, you know, if you start this business, not only will you have the problem of finding customers and everything, you will then have to educate the market as to why your thing is useful and why they need it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, you know, a city is growing and, and, uh, you know, new neighborhoods are added. Uh, maybe they need a new shoe store. Well, all you have to do is call it a shoe store. Everyone's going to know what it is. Everyone's going to know what you do, and if they need shoes, they're going to go in there, right? Yeah. So, so I I agree that there's a case for starting new businesses uh, if there's a new market that develops that's underserved. I mean, there's all kinds of cases where people successfully start businesses. But to your point, the vast majority of new businesses don't succeed, which which is why it makes sense to buy. Yeah.
1: So the mindset that you. There's so much layers. There's many layers deeper than what, um, that when you're talking about this, I think that people should understand a few layers deeper of like, if there's a new neighborhood started and they need, uh, there's no shoe store, there's a need there, right? So people are people that are successful that start businesses, they're looking for a need that has not yet Mm -hmm. been met. Most people that want to start a business is because they want to make money online. So they're trying to think of a unique creative idea to make money online, but they're not thinking about how do I find people that are struggling with this, that are ready to open up their wallet and give me their money. That's, that's how you start it. That's if you were to start a business, you need to look for the need first.
0: And how, and how do you find those people? How do you, how do you talk to them? Right. We've got another question here from, from, from jaw 1118. How mm-hmm. do you find sellers of these online businesses?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Joel. So, there's if you go to Google and type in website brokers or online business brokers, you'll see a bunch of online business brokers. Um, you've got Empire Flippers, Quiet Light Brokerage, Flipper F L F L I double P A dot com, uh, Motion Invest Investors club. We actually get a lot of people come to us wanting to sell their businesses. We are doing outreach and deal flow. If People want to sell one of their online businesses to us or to our community. Let us know. Um, there is so many wet pl- places you can find them for sale. Uh, just type in website brokers or online business brokers in Google, and yeah, the cool thing about it is you just go on, then you can see how much the business is worth, how much it's making per month, work required in terms of time and hours, and yeah, you can sort of make a decision. Well, obviously you do due diligence, but yeah. <laughs>
0: now in you know with a lot of the clients that i work with who are looking to buy a business they will decide they'll look at the broker channel they'll look at the online marketplaces but then sometimes they'll say you know i really want that shoe store and it's got to be in this region and i can't find one on a website so i'm going to go do a proprietary search they're going to start contacting owners of these different because once you know what kind of business you want you can you just need the yellow pages right you can you can find them and so Is there that same kind of proprietary off-market search that exists uh, in the world of online businesses? And is it easier because everything's online or is it more difficult to cut through the noise and actually have a meaningful conversation with someone?
1: its I don't know what it's like in the offline. Uh, I guess it's probably easier offline than it is online. Yes, you and I teach people how to do their own searches and, and find you know, the businesses that you actually want to buy um, based on the niche uh, or the product or the service or whatever it is. Uh, but also when you reach out to people by email saying, hey, I've got money on to buy your business, it sometimes rings alarm bells to people and they're sure. like, I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, and, they, and, and if you own an online business, you're getting pitched every day. Like we get pitched for so many things every single day. Oh, I can do your YouTube stuff, SEO. You need blogs. You need links. You need yep. this like whatever, and they're just trying to sell stuff to you. And then you get somebody who's like, I want to buy your business. You just don't know to believe whether it's true or trustworthy or not. So uh, there's a lot of skepticism there. But if you work out how to build relationships and you know how to do that well uh, online, then you can win at it. You can do it. Uh, it just, yeah, it's just a bit of work, right? You really got to roll up your sleeves and, and find those businesses.
0: So one of the ways that you that people will find a business they might potentially be able to buy is they'll go to like an association event or like a trade show and they'll actually cool. meet people and talk to people. And so yeah. you're talking about this same kind of thing, but it, with respect to online businesses. So there's communities, groups, etc. Of these owners that you could become a member of and potentially make some real human connections that could lead to some of these deals.
1: Yeah, there are Facebook groups uh, you can you can join. Uh, there are Flipper meetups uh flipper.com i've been a f- couple of flip or one flipper meetup um but most of what i'm talking about is like finding the businesses by doing your own research on google and through other tools to see if they meet your kpis and the business that you want to buy and then doing outreach by email that's hmm. and it's really a numbers game
0: okay great question joe um yeah. we're kind of getting close to the top of the hour here what anything else we should be talking about before it's time for you to go?
1: Uh due diligence. Like it's easy to yeah, we're gonna buy a that. business, but you need to do due diligence.
0: <laughs> I in fact, I heard that in the world of online businesses, it may be uh, may be very common for people to create some erroneous data to try to make their businesses look better. Have you run into that quite often?
1: Yeah. I think it might have been a year ago. Somebody had somebody reach out to me, it might have been longer reach out to me and say, Jared, I bought a business and I got taken advantage of. And uh, I want to come on your website. I mean, I want to come on your podcast to talk about it. And I thought, I don't know, like if they bought it from a broker that I know, I don't want to expose them and and have, of course, this big clash. Uh, But yeah, it did happen. Uh, We had him come on the podcast. He bought an e-commerce business and uh, he the people that were selling the business used a bunch of different credit cards to buy their own product and increase their revenue. Uh, And they were anonymous sales. And I said to him, okay, did you, how do you find this business uh, and who helped you with the due diligence and all that sort of stuff? He said, I found it on this, in this marketplace, um, or this broker, and I didn't have anybody help me with due diligence. And I was like, dude, like, you know and he i think he spent like mid six figures and i i was like mate like you you like you should you should pay somebody to help you do due diligence or at least have a friend look at it at at the very least um anyway yeah he got taken advantage of so we shared that story Um there's definitely a lot of ways that people can butcher numbers uh but the cool thing about being online is there's a lot of ways that you can prove that they butchered them or you can get real facts and real data once you get access to their database or their back end or yeah, yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of ways that you can prove that the financials of a business in the online space so yeah due diligence is is the most important thing it's I nice know. and it sounds great i'm just going to buy a business but you should like it's like imagine buying a property without doing a like a building and pest check and getting a, a bunch of things checked before you bought it and then you bought, and you bought this thing that's rotting out because it's got termites. Because you didn't get a building in pest J. It's the same thing. You just be crazy not to get help.
0: Yeah, yeah, great words of advice. Um, and it reminds me of this recent uh, big Wall Street fraud that just happened, uh, where the, the oh, is that? Did you hear about this? The company no. that helped students apply for online uh, student assistance. They claim to have millions of. of uh, they claimed to have millions of uh of clients but it turns out they only had about three hundred thousand, and they were bought by a major bank and they they fabricated an extra couple million of client records wow. and it was only after the transaction that it was discovered and uh yeah i i forget the name it, it it's a it was in the headlines there a few weeks ago um what what about turning an offline business into an online business? I mean, I I personally think that the the world of online and offline business is a bit of a misnomer. It's all just businesses, uh, <laughs> and I think that I, I think that today, if you own an, uh, a a brick and mortar, real world business, you better have some kind of presence online because you know more and more. This is just the way that all businesses marketed and advertised, etc. And mm. so what about the opportunity here that M is asking about, about finding that offline business and then injecting it with an online strategy?
1: Look, I think you're crazy not to, right? Like you, you said it perfectly, David, like they're inherently together. They're, they're a mix now. Um, I help people scale businesses. That's one thing that I do once I either bought them, but we have people come and said, Hey, Jared, can you scale my business or help me grow my business? And, um, one way that you can do it is so I'm helping somebody in an Eastern European country selling an e-commerce product uh, and we're, we're growing his business. And one way that you can do it is you can take the email list of customers that you already got and you can plug that into uh, Facebook or you can start, you can build a website, you get build traffic to it, um, do your marketing. It's just a form of marketing. And then you can take your already list that you have of people that are bought from you and you can upload that into Facebook and Google or wherever you want, Twitter, and you can do some remarketing to them to, you know, only the people that have already bought from you. And you lean into that and it's better. That's a warm list versus the cold audience, a warm audience, somebody that's already bought from you. They've got proof in the pudding that they've already paid money to purchase your product. They're likely going to do it again. They're the best type of people to do your to do marketing to, but that's a good low-hanging fruit to start, um, in the, uh, taking your offline business online. Uh, and there's so many strategies and ways you can do it, but I think you'd be crazy not to like you're opening up yourself up from a local market to the world.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's easier today to do this than at any time in history. I mean, with some of the tools that are available, you know, you don't need to know how to code or, or anything like that. You know, uh, so many people I know have, have gone and uh, created you know like shopify sites and things like this to to get products up online so it is it's definitely something that every brick and mortar business should be addressing in some way
1: you're gonna get it's it's i think you're gonna get left behind if you don't yeah right like like, look at all of the stores in if you go to your local shopping center your big shopping center with all the retail stores—I dare say, every single one of those in-store businesses has an online business arm that probably does more volume online. Like uh, all the sporting, all the sporting, like all of them, all of them would have an online arm. Well,
0: you—you you know what I'm seeing lately. I was actually shoe shopping with my daughter a couple of weeks ago. We went to the store and she found a pair of sneakers that she liked and she wanted to try them on, but they didn't have her size. And the clerk said, "If you really like these, I can have them delivered to your house in your size later this week." Yeah, like the 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 retail store is fully integrated with their online store, yep. and and they're they're bouncing like they're literally leveraging both places to do the same overall traffic. I, I was really impressed with that.
1: I think you're so crazy not to. Like, what's your option if somebody comes in and you don't have the product that they want? in store and you don't have an online or a warehouse somewhere and doing online sales you turn away somebody that's like i'm gonna buy a pair of shoes for 100 bucks if you don't have them i'm gonna go somewhere else you're basically giving money to your competitors so you you kind of have to you're you're doing a disservice to people by not doing that is a really good reframe to think about like you're sending them away of like oh i've got to spend another hour looking for these shoes you know solve the problem make their life better help them out please that's what we hear that's what we should do in businesses
0: that's what a business is for it provides for you by solving other people's problems um your thoughts on franchise business promises listen jared are, are there are there any franchise online businesses hmm
1: i don't think it's i don't think it's a thing because how do you franchise the whole, like, how do you.
0: I, I've seen, uh, so I, this is what I've seen over the last couple of decades. There was a couple, there have been a couple of franchises I've run across where it's like creating a, like a local business marketing solution using online tools. But it was like, that was like a franchised business thing that someone was buying into, yeah. but, but you're right. I mean, how. I mean, I guess if you were a big e-commerce website, you could parcel out countries and make them franchises. But why would you? If you could just set up your own,
1: yeah, it's individual like,
0: country branch, if you wanted to.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's thinking about branding and it's like splitting up a brand. I just don't think it's a that no, I've never seen it. I've never come across it. So,
0: and yeah. I don't know much and, about and-
1: franchising either, to be honest.
0: And if we've, if we've missed it and you guys can think of something, just put it in the comments down below because I'd love to learn yeah. about it. And, and please put their website. Cause I'd like to go look at it because that yeah. would be interesting. Um, so if people are curious to learn more about this and, and the stuff that you do, what, where's the best place that people should be joining you?
1: Uh, buying online And yeah, we got all the things we've got this same thing as you, man, podcast, YouTube channel, all the, all the stuff. Um, yeah, people can see if they like our flavor, and yeah, come and ask questions. If you got more,
0: that's awesome. And uh, and I have linked it down below in the show notes. So if you just Thanks. if you're uh, driving your car, listening to this, or if you're you're you know go down in the notes, you'll find a link to Jared's podcast uh, and to uh, his prior appearances. And as soon as we're done, I'm going to go amend the notes to include the reference to the Spencer Cornelia video and and a video about that big fraud. I wish I could remember the name of the company. But yeah. it was it was in the news just last week, and it, it it's an incredible story, really. But um, okay. thank you very much for being on. I'm going to play a couple of uh, sponsorship messages and and uh, and exit loops here. Uh, cool. Hang on tight, and thank you very much for for joining us once again.
1: Thanks so much, David. Thanks to everybody for the questions as well, and uh, yeah, having a conversation just around business, I absolutely love it. So appreciate your right. platform.
0: Awesome. I'll be right back. Special thanks quote to today's video sponsor, Mark Willis of Lake Growth Financial. Mark helps people better manage their personal wealth and business finances through the bank on yourself insurance strategy. This is something I've done personally and have gotten lots of positive feedback from people I've worked with over the years. Go to newbankingsolution.com to find a playlist of all the interviews I've done with Mark and to learn more about the advantages of these programs. While there, Sign up to arrange a conversation about what this solution might look like for you. So, how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses. And you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos. This episode of Small Business and Deal Making is brought to you by smbpodcastnetwork.com. The network is a collection of podcasts and shows from around the internet, which focus on bringing you interviews with amazing guests who share actionable advice, ideas, and information for small and medium-sized business owners and entrepreneurs. Visit www.smbpodcastnetwork.com to find more great shows and easily subscribe to be notified of new episodes. It's a great way to discover quality content. And if you've discovered us today via the network, then I hope you're enjoying the show and will consider subscribing directly so you never miss any one of our great episodes.